Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade, here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friend and colleague, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg. Um, and Jason is not here through no fault of his own. We are in crunch time of the semester. This is uh, the last week of classes, and next week will be finals, and it's grading time, um, and this is when people want to meet, and uh, students are getting anxious and, and all that fun stuff. Um, got a kid confirmed, got a kid graduating, you've got kids in different activities. It is a, uh, a busy time, and so Mike and I are recording here on a Tuesday after chapel because we were both available, and that's not a time that Jason was available, although it would have been great to have him here, so I'm not going to give him a hard time. About missing today, Michael. I would say this is progress and sanctification. Yeah. 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 Um, we I are not going to be doing a free-for-all today. Um, we kind of have limited time because I will have to make my way to class. Although today is just review and study guide day, so um, nothing too pressing. Uh, it's a beautiful day here, and uh, I am dressed accordingly. It's my first day in shorts, although I am wearing a button-down shirt. I would note Michael is looking summery in his... Uh, all black, in his clericals. Um, and so we hope wherever you are, uh, you are getting a taste of summer as we will be this week in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our topic today is an article uh, that Mike suggested a while ago and we haven't had a chance to get to, um, but I'm glad he suggested it. It's by an author we've talked about before, an author both uh, both Michael and I enjoy, Jonathan Haidt. Is it Haidt or Height? Haidt. Haidt. I always say it wrong. Um, And it is entitled, it's a good title, Why the Past Ten Years of American Life Have Been Uniquely Stupid, and then the subtitle, It's Not Just a Phase, right? And I I did find this helpful. I do think it's good. We waited a bit to do it because we had our Why Why Is America Losing Its Mind series. This is not identical with what we hit on in there in any way, so we'll be talking some new stuff. Um, Not a long article, but it is... uh, Longish, if yeah. compared to what you're used to probably reading online, um, if you're getting a lot of your articles that way. Um, you can probably find it with a Google search. I don't know if The Atlantic has it behind a paywall, but it is um, from The Atlantic. Uh, I believe that's – do we both still subscribe to yes. The Atlantic? Yes, and and I've, I've seen it um, elsewhere, too, being quoted and being put up there, so – even if you haven't been to the OWA website, maybe you have heard about it. So, so you can search the title and you'll, yeah. and you'll find it probably. Um, but that is what we will be discussing. We are part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. Um, we just got some new equipment and we really need Ben and Peter. Um, ben and Peter, who I, I assume they don't even listen to this anymore. Um, I, I don't even know if they exist anymore. Right. But we're hoping they will show us how to use it because... Uh, we're idiots. You know, yeah, we're not good at technology. Um I understand Ben was looking at like the specs and stuff, and we may be able to do sound effects, Michael. Oh, boy. And you know what I'm guessing that will mean? Can we have like a cough button? For me? That would be great for yeah. both of us, but mostly for you. Yeah. It, and I'm going to apologize in advance. It is allergy season. is got me just down right now. And for Mother's Day, we did yard work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I cut down a tree, and we yanked mm-hmm. out bushes and stuff, and... And they're getting their revenge, and mm-hmm. you you seem a little sniffly. I've been, I've as been. Well, Michael, uh, I actually, I never thought I'd do this. I had to cancel class. I mm. was deathly ill. Like I was at home. Yeah. And death knocked on my front door. Well, I'm I'm glad you did not. And you know what I said? You know what I said? Not today, death. I said not today, pal. Yeah. And then he dropped something and walked away. Well, nice. It may have been the Amazon delivery guy. I'm not quite sure. I'm still glad you made it, yeah. and uh, I'm glad you're you're recovering. I'm I'm on my way, but a little hoarse. Yeah. So. so we will apologize in advance for any coffee, but I do. I am looking forward to the sound effects. I think I'm going to love them. You're going to hate them. Most Is that likely, a fair yes, prediction? Most likely. And I think Jason will be entertained by. Jason will be entertained, but will not participate normally. Right. So I um, encourage you to go to 1517.org. Check out all the good stuff there. Mike's got a book there. I've got books there. Um, there are free academy courses. There's a lot of stuff at 1517.org. And with that, we will make our way to the main topic. 
And that brings us to our main topic. Once again, our main topic is an article by Jonathan Haidt, why the past 10 years of American life have been uniquely stupid. And Michael, why don't we start with um, why why'd you suggest this? Why did it catch your attention? What stood out to you about it? Well, the title was pretty awesome. It is a good title. Um, it's a pretty good title. And so that's clickbait for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, like you said, Jonathan Haidt, we, uh, he's, listen, he's uh, not religious, probably would identify as actually an atheist, at least agnostic. Um, so we're not saying everything that he's uh, saying is going to be uh, confessional Lutheranism favorable. To be fair, we don't say that about each other. No. So, or about this podcast, right. which we forgot the disclaimer, by the way. Yeah, and, don't sue us. Yeah. This is a bad one to forget it on because it's all about, yeah. like, the people might, we might get fired. Michael. Darts, darts yeah. at us. Um, I don't really care, though, Yeah, at this point. He is, um, Jonathan Heights. Discount Liquor is hiring a stack boy. Hmm? I said Discount Liquor is hiring a stack boy, so <laughs> if worse comes to worse. That would be fun. Yeah. Uh, pick up a, some extra shifts. Yeah, I worked at a liquor store for a while. Yeah. Um, I've done this. It's been long. I've done this yeah, gig a while. Yeah. Jonathan Haidt, uh, his books, and then uh, he's also a regular um, columnist, um, are very insightful. There's some holes in there from certainly a spiritual point of view. Um, there are times when he, you know, uh, th- there are other writers who would say, I totally disagree with what he is saying, and I think those are fair criticisms. But what I really like about him is, first of all, he doesn't freak out about things. And that he, I think, is generally, for our time, fairly open-minded to other people's opinions and being fair in his journalism. And so he's into moral psychology. He's actually, I was just reading a very in-depth kind of uh, journal-type book, like one of these, not just a quarterly journal, but one of these like yearly books that are put out. Uh, about psychology, and, and he was not only quoted, but had some articles in, in this series on moral psychology. I disagree with him on moral psychology, um, and there were authors in there that disagreed with him from, from a secular point of view. Um, but he is very smart and very thoughtful, and I think um, is worthy of a read. And, and I also appreciate, and both the New York Times and Atlantic for all of their, I don't, I don't subscribe to the Washington Post, but I, I do. Put, put that in there. What newspapers right. do? Yeah. Right now, I just do uh, New York Times, Atlantic, um, Harper's, not really a magazine. Um, yeah, I've been getting Harper. I'm yeah, not sure. I'm, I'm done. Gonna, yeah. I'm done with them. Yeah. Uh, I flop like I would used to get the Economist. I used to get the Washington Post, New York Times, or L.A. Times, or whatever. I I, I kind of flip flop around. You cough before I know I'm not. Because I don't want to get the pandemic. See what I'm going to do? I'm blowing the germs off my coffee before I drink. Um, Right back at me. For all of the criticism of the liberal media, and some of that is legitimate. Like they, they miss things. Like you're like, you don't really understand what you're talking against. This is true of everybody. And so I will criticize that. But at the same time, for all of the over-the-top, the liberal media is the worst thing that has ever happened to, you know, Western civilization. There have been a string of articles that not have not have not only questioned some of the, um, I hate the word wokeism, but you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and have been actually sometimes thoughtful and sometimes like this is stupid, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's refreshing. And that's kind of what got me. Back in yeah. Harper's for a bit is that they were on that kick too, but now it's just gotten a little eh, again. So for I'm the read a long article, it's got to be good. Yeah, let, let, let me. Yeah, they're so long. They better be like get somewhere. Yeah. For all of those people who are maybe more left leaning and just and and think that whatever things are going in one direction and that that is holier than thou. I think it's helpful to listen to these voices who are going to say, uh, not just pump the brakes, but like, this is really stupid and is not helpful. For all of those people who are like, 
the the elites are ruining everything. Um, and the New York Times is basically Marx's manifesto. Maybe you read it once in a while. I'm getting, guessing maybe people really don't. Uh, this is from the Atlantic, of course, but there are there are voices out there. There's stupid mm-hmm. voices. Are good, especially very interestingly, I think with of course uh, you know this uh, uh, Roe versus Wade debate that is going to perhaps come to a head um, this decade, maybe even sooner than that. Mm-hmm. There's been some voices in the liberal media, or at least published by what the so-called liberal media. We probably a better term would be uh, what's the term the legacy media that have not only criticized uh, the pro-abortion or pro-choice movement, but makes assumptions like, this is a human life. You need to talk better about this, right? So uh, I, I find that refreshing that there are some voices out there that are saying, can we all just simmer down a little bit? and actually maybe uh, write and read and think about something thoughtful. So that's the long answer to your question of why I was attracted to this article. And that was a long answer. That was. But it was a helpful answer. So yeah, I, yeah. Especially because you, you only interrupted me like twice. Yeah, but yeah. They, because I was interested in what you were saying. Yeah, yes, yes. I didn't interrupt with my – I interrupted to dig deeper in yes, what newspapers right. you're getting with I didn't. Yes. I didn't say anything about myself. No. I don't think. No. Except so. for the sick, the germs thing. Well, but that is a legitimate concern. That's a legitimate I think. concern. Right During now. the break, you even said to me. Right. I said, I hope I, you don't get me sick, yeah. and you said it's too late now. Yeah. Um, Which not, and you said it in a very like indifferent way to my health. Right, but since then you've been holding your laptop up against your nose, and so I think you're protected. Okay. Because that's thicker than a mask. Right, and I'm hoping like the gamma rays or whatever. That absolutely, come off those. kill them off. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, all right. So, if we can uh, just briefly maybe walk our way through the article, <coughs> I have marked it up a bit, um, and Height uh, uh, is going to begin with, uh, and how appropriate for a Christian podcast. Um, he's going to begin with the Tower of Babel. In the book of Genesis, do you say Babel or Babel? I say Babel, but then as emphasis later, I will say, and they were babbled. Yeah, yeah. but we both say Babel then. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I will talk about this, um, the confusion of languages that took place as they were reaching this kind of like pinnacle of human potential. And uh, he notes it doesn't say if God destroyed the tower, but he did confuse their languages. And he says... Uh, We'll use the image of the tower having fallen so we can picture people kind of walking amongst the ruins. Um, And that image is something he kind of wants. It's a warning to us, Mm -hmm. I think, um, as he goes. And then he will will lay out um, the importance in the West of for democracy, for liberal democracy, of um, some key foundational things um, that... uh, for much of human history, he argues that the, um, the, the trend was toward cooperation at larger scales, so people coming together. And for that to take place, that happened around um, institutions and shared values. And shared stories. And shared stories. And particularly so in America, where you had um, not shared um, ethnicity or shared religion, or even language. Or even shared enemies <clears throat> or shared language. Um, but you did have shared ideas. You had social capital, he calls it. Um, so social networks that we trusted. <clears throat> and then strong institutions. So if we say shared ideas, shared stories, like things that American notions <clears throat> maybe would be a way that we could talk about it. And he argues that social media has <clears throat> weakened all three of these. And I would, he doesn't argue so much, but I would say um, in weakening those three, we have seen in some of the things that have arisen a return to blood, gods, enemies mm-hmm. um, to unite increasingly splintered groups. <clears throat> um, and not just gods like religion, but demagogues maybe even as well. Think in, in our Lutheran context, think of 
an idol, a catechism idol, what you have replaced God with. Yeah. He is going to say that, that originally social media had an opportunity to actually um, help us share our stories. Or just be <laughs> benign. and yeah. Right. Help us share our or maintain our social networks. I can share pictures of my kids with friends across the country. I can stay in touch with family. Um, but he will get to, and we'll maybe discuss a little bit in more detail later, when he sees this shift coming. And he's going to largely locate it in the addition of liking and sharing of posts um, on Facebook, on Twitter. And I believe these are part of almost every social media network now. Um, and with liking and sharing of posts came the ability to go viral, but also the ability to really crash and burn online too. Um, connected to liking and sharing too, this led social media companies that before, for instance, Facebook, if we remember back in the day, it was just what your friends were posting, newest on the top. That's what you saw. Um, but as they wanted to increase, um, oh, what's the word where you're participating in it? Um, not contact. Uh, <coughs> like you're active in the in the app and the platform. They want to increase, not connectivity, but they want the user to stay on, uh, right? To stay connected. Um, algorithms to figure out what you are most likely to like and share. And then your feed became more about feeding you that and less about your actual um, pre-existing outside of the app social network. Um, over time, uh, he argues on this led users of social media to become more performative in what they post and in what they like, um, to present an image of themselves. Um, we've talked about this before, but to become a, a brand. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he says it exactly this way, but it, but other books that we've read together or talked about, to commodify ourselves. Yep. Um, so that, right, what is the product for social media now? <clears throat> it is us and our data and our attention. Um, this then, he says, encourages dishonesty or maybe uh, inauthenticity, yep. we could say. And mob dynamics, he says. So to team up on things, we want to be part of a, a group. He talks about then that this note, this exploits something that um, one of our founding fathers here in America, I know we have listeners not in America, but one of our American founding fathers, um, that Madison had warned early on that if democracy was going to work, we had to be careful because there's a deep-seated inclination to factionalism inside human beings. And he quotes Madison as saying, where no substantial occasion presents itself, the most frivolous and fanciful distinctions have been sufficient to kindle um, their unfriendly passions and excite their most violent conflicts. <clears throat> so now we have this tool, which originally we thought was going to be this golden age of democracy. We can hold leaders accountable. We're going to have all sorts of information. We can connect. The Arab Spring. Yep that seems to lend itself very well to autocracy mm -hmm. and despotism. Uh, we've seen in China, Russia, elsewhere, um, how they're learning to exploit these things to, to shape public opinion and to limit um, freedom of thought and expression. Um, and so we're losing trust in our social institutions. We are um, less and less able to call upon shared stories. And as our life increasingly has moved online, and I would say the pandemic has only heightened this, um, we have lost in-person um, cultivation and maintenance of um, our social networks in a healthy way. Um, so that our social networks have been narrowed by the nature of uh, being online where a search engine feeds you what it thinks you want um, where social media feeds you what it thinks you will engage with um, we're less and less in contact with people who might offer other perspectives who might be living different experiences <clears throat> who might come from different cultural, religious socioeconomical economic backgrounds um, and so there's been a, a real narrowing of things for us 
At the same time, this has led to an increase of both depression, which makes me less likely to want to engage with new ideas, and anxiety, which makes these new ideas or developments terrify me, both of which push me even more to shut down, to remain online in the echo chamber, um, and not to engage. Um, He then says this has infected politics, so that politicians of both parties have to be afraid of the fringes, and he puts it at like 6 to 8% for the right mm. and the left. <clears throat> he notes these fringes, and I love this, are the richest and whitest groups mm-hmm. um, that are these fringes. So as um, some on those fringes want to think of themselves as activists and mm-hmm. they're about humanity, mm-hmm. they're coming from a place that's, that's wealthy and white. Right. This is... Uh... And this is true of the progressives, right? He's right. not saying this is just the, the right. Right, which... Let's come back after you. Let's come back to that. Yeah. So we ha- we have had on the right um, a narrowing of things um, to uh, think of things like rhino. If someone's not on board with everything of the yep. of the post, I would say two thousand. Well, first post New Gingrich, now post Trump <clears throat> Republican agenda, there are rhino or worse terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the left. You also now have call-out culture, which he says really from 2012 on has come, which has um, also made people reticent to speak out on the left, which, you, as you've noted, some are now starting to, mm-hmm. and we've seen that in, in Harper's Atlantic. Um, I think Wall Street Journal's been particularly good, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> too, um, but that's there. He says, while the moderates get more wins on the left— the moderates in the left get more wins on the left. Think Biden, Pelosi. Mm-hmm. Now, some of our listeners will say Biden's radical left, which is just comical, <clears throat> right? Um, he gets pulled that way in some things, but mm-hmm. if you really think Pelosi and, and Biden are way left, you need to maybe look at politics around the globe. Yeah. We are all center right in America. Yeah. Whereas moderates on the right are getting less wins. And I think he's making a fair point that I think that's true. Um, you, you don't see a Romney, Murkowski, Collins, Kinziger type stuff. Um, but, uh, but on the left, the danger has been institutions dominated by liberals. Um, and I, I give him credit for, for admitting that, that many of these are dominated by liberals. Hollywood, because, universities, <laughs> even down K-12. Yeah, sometimes people try yeah. to deny that. But, um, but these institutions that are most formative for educating and shaping the next generation have um, more so than maybe in, on Capitol Hill, much more so have been subject to um, internal sanctions, internal censorship for fear of being called out mm-hmm. or you get people who get fed up and they resign or they get called out and fired and the far left takes their place, which is he notes why institutions can go woke almost overnight um, after something has happened. And so um, we have problems both on the right and the left with this. Um, as far as what he suggests as a way out, and then I'll stop talking, Mike, but I just want to get um, give his argument and then we can go where we want to go because I know we're going to be tempted um, to do so. He says um, he has no you know, big cure for democracy in the digital age, and it's beyond him to have any you know, um, perfect platform. But he offers three goals. We must harden the democratic institutions – that we have so that they can withstand chronic anger and mistrust. We must reform social media so that it becomes less socially corrosive. And by that, he doesn't necessarily mean government censorship, but um, but some amount of regulation. <laughs> that was my experience. I'll put the laptop back up. Um, and then we must uh, better prepare the next generation for democratic citizenship in this new age. And I think that third one, as educators, Michael, I at least, I think that's huge. Um, we have bombarded these kids with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think sometimes, at, at least I do, maybe not you, I get flustered and <clears throat> just go, what? Don't they get it? Right. And the thing is, no, we have, 
flooded them um, with with all this stuff, with nonsense. And somehow we expect them to be able to be um, as discerning as maybe we were expected to be um, at their age. And to be fair, I was not all that discerning. Well, and, and a prior generation. Our generation, though, they said the same thing about us on a different level, but yeah. Um, and so that's kind of what he's going to lay out. Hopefully, um, I know that took time, but that gives an overview for the article. And let me just throw it back to you, Mike. Anything in there, anywhere sure. you want us let me to go now and make a couple comments there. Uh, he, he says that the problem is not tribalism, but the fragmentation of everything, right? He uses the picture of a mirror, like social institutions were a mirror that we. We looked back upon ourselves, and we could. You go. Don't think of a mirror in your, um, in in your in your bathroom. You're all alone, but a mirror on all of society. Now it's a shattered mirror. It's fragmented. You know, because we're all getting information from different yeah, sources, and and different information. You don't have the ability to do that. It, it, something that I've heard people of our ilk say. You know, I'll have talked about this publicly a little bit, and they will say. Well, there's part of the part of the problem is that the institutions have failed us. One hundred percent agree. The media as an institution has has failed us and stuff like that. The but church, the church for sure. But the impulse is to say, "Well, you got what you deserve. Wash my hands of that." Well, no, the part of institutions, and this is what I don't think people understand about our uh, uh, the the beginnings of this American experiment is that. Everything depends on at least some sort of cooperation from the people and goodwill. And so I, I think there is, and I see this, man, this is terrible in the church. Like there's just no, there's no charity. Charity is, used to be a virtue. Which, yeah, which is an odd place to not have charity. There is no charity for somebody else's thoughts. And it is a defensive posture. It's an attack posture. If it can be the same way I know those sound different, but you know what I mean? Like I can't let somebody in. I have to attack is what I mean. And it hurts the gospel. And that, that of course is our biggest concern. Um, I, he liked the, I, I like the, his concept of darts. Everybody got a dart, right? So the trolls, uh, the, the, the ramifications of every having a dart is the troll who is as loud and as snarky and as anybody else has undue influence right um and uh uh there there's there's no moderate uh middle anymore right uh every time we talk about it we we talk about others oh, problems on the left or problems on the right i can hear people that i know say from both sides say um you know uh if you don't stand up right you're you're basically from the left it is um, silence is violence from, from the right is, um, you're going to lose your country, right? If you don't stand up and, and do these things, it's, it's very, um, apocalyptic language, right? Um, but I think that there is something to be said about a, um, aggressive middle sometimes, right? And, uh, I, I think the authors that we have mentioned have, have been that way and have been brave enough to do that despite all of the people who, in academia have been thrown under the bus and even lost their jobs because they've been canceled. And we'll say it once again, that you can be canceled by the right. Just because the left cancels better than the right doesn't mean that the right did it first, didn't do it first. And second, on the flip side, just because this untruth uh, idea um, and anti-science and anti-institution that the right does better, including Donald Trump, doesn't mean that they didn't originally come from the left, the attack of knowledge um, on the left. Um, the, the whole technology thing, you know, I, I, I think he does a good job of not sounding like an old man on the, on the lawn. Mm -hmm. um, I always go back to this idea that every technological advancement when it comes to technology uh, of information means we have access to more information, but we know it less, right? So even the book means I don't memorize these shared stories. I can write it down. So I have access to more stories, but I have less. Printing press, television, radio, the computer, the internet, smartphone, now social media. You're in a role. Now, what's that? You're in a role. Yeah, all those things. And each step, we 
get flooded with information, so we have access to more information, but we know it less and therefore we cannot be discerning. So I think all of those information steps, technological steps, um, were similar but unique, right? So the book, okay, you're not memorizing stuff. That's actually a big deal, right? That you're not really digesting it. But I think we all think that books are good. Uh, most people. Uh, the printing press, um, I could see a lot of people saying, oh my gosh, you, gosh, you can't, you don't have to be discerning at all, right? You just print something and it's gone and then it's viral and you can't put the, uh, the horse back in the barn, right? I mean, that's a, a lot of people will complain. That's what Luther did. Right. Absolutely. Right. And this you could monk see who otherwise would not have had from this other side, he did. it's very similar to, um, to the, to the early days of the internet, right? Television is different because, okay, we're now we're becoming dumber. We don't read, uh, internet. Now I really don't need to do anything. Cause I, I, I really don't know anything. I just have to Google it and I get the answer and then it's gone. His point is here is that the, the, not just social media, but the, 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 the very quick way you can go viral and spread misinformation, even disinformation, um, fractures us. And so each step has a price to pay and this, but this, but each one's unique. And this one's uni very unique. I'm reading a book, uh, um, about the, the making of the American university, um, you about Newman or Ruben? Is it Ruben? Newman? Is that Julie? Julia? Oh, a different person. Okay. Yeah. Um, I will. I will Google it for you and then forget the answer. Yeah. <laughs> and early on, there was this debate that 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 they felt that they wanted to get more information into this four-year curriculum so you could keep a classical education, keep moral philosophy, keep religion, but also get people to start doing research and stuff like that. That was going to work out well. Move from the research, whatever. And uh, and when you said we're flooding these kids with all this information, that's exactly what they were saying back in, you know, 18-whatever. We're flooding these kids with information, and it's too much, right? It's too much, and then we wonder why they can't think critically. So this is nothing new, and yet at the same time, it is unique, right? Uh, we've seen these technological advancements in information we always give up something. This one, hopefully we don't have to give up democracy, but what we certainly have given up is the ability to, to be forced to see some sort of middle ground or other view, viewpoints. So there is something to be said about a media that is the guard gate for information, right? That says that's not credible. That certainly has an agenda. Um, and the media, uh, you know, I think you can make a case has, has, has failed at that in a certain way. And yet at the same time, um, the gates, uh, the floodgates opening, while that may sound great, I have access to everything. The truth of the matter is, is um, I'm going to have a gatekeeper. It's not about if I have a gatekeeper or not have a gatekeeper. I'm going to have a gatekeeper, whether it be an algorithm whether it be my own prejudice, whether it be my own group of, of friends, whether it be I just go to these media uh, outlets, I'm going to have a gatekeeper, right? And, and that means that we have a fractured society. Uh, one last, then I'm done. Um, I, the more and more I think about our cultural wars right now, um, you know, maybe, maybe the abortion debate's a little bit different, but um, it really is overly educated white people and that's us overly educated white Are you people I'm overly educated yeah thank you michael overly educated white people fighting up in the clouds about things that rarely affect them now this is not to say that there are not activists who have actually suffered and activists that come from the grassroots i'm not saying that um and i would say there's sympathy to those people when i would say if they are true victims, right, and have to share the same stage with the fake victims, right? And uh, the church is largely sometimes a fake victim. Um, the conservative movement largely can be a fake victimhood. And certainly there's a, a large fake victimhood in, um, in, I hate the word elite, but you know what I mean, an overly educated white 
right? The, the average minority person um, is probably rolling their eyes at everybody right now as they go to work. I know this is true as they go to work and uh, certainly see injustices and, and wrongs in the world. Um, but uh, at times I would bet feel abused by, by the elite as they become pawns in this power play um, in the upper echelons of our society. Maybe that's too harsh, but I kind of think it's true. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think, um, I mean, it's telling who the most um, prominent voices are. And I would say um, it's significant that it's not really different voices. Um, it's the same people that have been prominent voices. Um, and yet, on both sides, um, they can feel really good about it, and they're yeah. and they're taking it to the establishment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> while Even though uh, they may be the establishment, well, yeah, while being a, or at least a very clear product of it. Um, <clears throat> I would like to hit on something else that he brings up at the end of the article, and I think it's something that um, we as church need to recapture. Um, and uh, and um, and so maybe something. Well, what can we do? Yeah. As he comes to the end of the article, he uh, talks about if he has hope. The hope he has is that um, De Tocqueville noted that in America's past, when there were problems, um, people didn't wait for the government yeah. to fix it. <clears throat> um, they started their own groups and associations, think about communities. All those things that have gone by the past, the Optimist Club, the whatever, yeah, yeah. And he sees things trending that way now as well. Um, and I would say we've we've lived through um, 20, 30 years in which the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are really growing. Um, and those who consider themselves affiliated with or members of a church has declined. Um, and I can't always blame that people that much. And it's not necessarily they have lost their faith. Like uh, Stephen Prothero would, would make the point, like there's a lot about it's significant and there's labeling there, but it's not like people are going elsewhere to fill the spiritual void. Um, well, and you can, you can see what nature abhors a vacuum. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. And part of the reason this has happened is in my view, um, the church became less community and more marketplace. Um, and in a society that already was commodifying them even before the internet, um, but in a society where that became even exacerbated with the internet, um, if there's something that Gen X and on has been good at, it's been being able to tell when they're being fed a line. <clears throat> and I feel like with the 90s, and I, I usually tell my students not to say feel, say think, but I, it, I'm in, this is more intuition that I, I can't statistically demonstrate right now. Um, we both lived through the 90s, and we saw what the church became in the 90s. Um, and then over time, that trickled down within Lutheranism as well. And you kind of had this neo-monasticism that developed, but this capitalist Christian neo-monasticism. Um, buy the right CDs for the right band, <clears throat> wear the right clothes, go to the right bookstore, um, eat the right mints, the testaments, <clears throat> with Bible verses on them. Um, and even then in our circles, <clears throat> confessional Lutheranism began to panic, and there were big movements. Um, and... <laughs> not to bash the boomers, but especially led by the boomers, of a, <clears throat> we've got to give the kids what they want to keep them. Um, and the problem is, I would say we're already at the age, Mike, where we increasingly don't know what the kids want. Um, that and assumes a free will that they would choose correctly. Right. Yeah. And so you have a it's lot very of evangelical. kids who in their very formative years were not given what they need. Mm -hmm. Which meant they weren't given a framework for having well-formed wants, right? And, and I think um, here is where the church has done poorly. <clears throat> um, Roman Catholicism, which 
historically has a big emphasis on formative um, formation has done poorly even. Um, I grew up in Roman Catholicism and my catechesis was largely coloring books mm-hmm. um, or going on um, working at the food bank, whatever else, which mm-hmm. is nice. <clears throat> but I could also go do that at my public high school. Yep. We went to the same, the same food bank. Um, and I think you've seen some recovery of that in Catholicism, but it's also been deeply wounded by the the the, the sex scandals, the mm-hmm. priestly scandals. Um, we have fortunately not had the same scandals, but I would say Lutheranism, which had a very important emphasis on formation at its beginning, um, if anything, a heightened form sense of formation from what medieval Catholicism would have had with catechesis and hymns, the family altar. Um, And, you know, Luther expecting church multiple times per week, maybe even on a Sunday. And, um, but it lost that pretty quick. We should be critical of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And in America, especially. um, And so when, when Haidt says, we cannot expect Congress and the tech companies to save us, we must change ourselves and our communities. I think there's a call to the church as well. To what sense do you see your church as community? To what sense do you see your parish um, as a whole, right? Not just that you go there and then you get divvied up into what demographic you fit or what group. Not that you just go there and then you pick which service you prefer. And I don't just mean worship service. But parish service as well. Um, we'll, give, we'll give you a job. Yeah, yeah. I go to the basketball or I yeah. do this. Um, and our connectivity across generations, across um, experiences, across interests, um, across uh, political proclivities has been... Um, Diminished, mm-hmm. and I, I don't see us trending better in this way. No. We Which seem to be doubling down two, on yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and um, it um, I mean, I even see it at the college sometimes too. When we, it's like, well, well this is what the students want. Mm-hmm. Um, Did they tell you that? Because it sounds right. like you just made. And it And what up. the students um, need is not to be more just among students. They need to be connected beyond that as well. Um, And this also is, I think, the danger of universities in our day. And not just secular, but they become four years to be isolated, at least in high school. Um, Many high schools, public high schools or high schools that are school choice, like where our kids go. There's an array of experiences there. And I think this is a strength of where our kids go at Wisco. There's exposure. And so there can be meaningful conversations in the midst of that. I, and, and just as since as a guy who teaches in both settings and teaches the same class, apologetics in both settings, um, the high schoolers are much more uh, willing to attack and criticize and, and challenge me. Um, I think partly for that very reason. Although all, the other part maybe is that they're caged animals, they can't leave. Right. <laughs> you know, but... Um, um, they are, they are much more willing to go. Hey, wait a minute! I'm not buying what you're selling. Mm-hmm. Um, where the college kids, I wish they would do that more because I go, you should challenge me on this, and then we'll go back and forth, and maybe hopefully I get to the same point that I just told you. But yeah, mm-hmm. and I think even um, we've seen some good things like in Lutheranism, the um, growing appreciation for the doctrine of vocation. But even that can be misused. It becomes ubiquitous, meaningless. In term. a way that silos me or, um, oh, we share the same vocations or whatever. Yeah. Rather than my vocations um, expanding my experience and um, being rooted in my community, my community to a degree shapes my vocation. Um, we, in some ways, are maybe training kids to say, here's your vocation and then go find where you want to express yep. it. Yep. Rather than saying, um, here's your community. Mm-hmm. And your vocation is where God has put you within yeah. it. And uh, that can be various communities. Um, who is my neighbor's right. question, not what is my vocation? But there's a real notion that, well, you find your community. Mm-hmm. And 
if you don't like this community, it's it's kind of like college sports now with the transfer mm. portal. You just you keep jumping communities. And that's not to say it's wrong to move or or anything like that. But um there is a uh, an importance to rootedness. Um and um and to seeing community as gift. And maybe you got to go through a little struggle before you get the yeah. Right. And if we're going to draw people into community, we have to rediscover it ourselves. I know I took this maybe a different direction no, than you were I'm thinking, Mike, but I'm curious any thoughts you have or any holes you yeah, want to poke. I've I, got, just so you know, I've got roughly like eight minutes before we got to pack up okay. so I can go to class. Uh, yeah, I one thought that's sort of on the side, but, um, you know, you were speaking of 90s is what the church happened in the church in late 80s, 90s, and then kind of what we were brought into as, as young uh, parish pastors. And, and the argument usually went like this, it's not working in the past. And then somebody who thought they were smart would say something like, as you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing or whatever. Something, something think outside the box. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's like, I've, I've heard that enough times that I'm beginning to think that's true about this argument, mm -hmm. but the two assumptions were made. One was that people have a free will. So many of our practices in our worship, especially in our worship, assumed that you could attract people of free will. In uh, fact, so that you would hear people even say, go look at what the Pentecostals are yeah. doing because they're growing. And it's a, it's, it is, you are, you know, it's coming out of the 60s with a self-actualization and, and it, it centers around, the world centers around you and your ability, your personality, your felt needs, all that kind of stuff. And, and that's fine as far as it goes, but you miss the idea of formation, which, which, which we've talked about quite a few, quite a few times. The second assumption oh, was, that, should be an, that could be an episode just in itself. Yeah. The second assumption is that, and you hear this a lot again, not to bag on the baby boomers, but this was typically baby boomer where we grew up going, okay, okay. And then when we got old enough, we started rolling our eyes. It was a it was a it was a dichot dichotomy. It was this confessional, Lutheran, hymnody formation, catechesis, Holy Communion, baptism stuff, and then it was um, uh, uh, open the doors, new music, um, uh, successful mission work, all that kind of stuff, and that was the de-emphasize the ministry. This this was the, this was the dichotomy. The assumption was that what maybe you and I would identify as confessional Lutheranism, sacramental, vocational, incarnational, formative community, these kinds of things. The assumption was that that had been tried in the American scene. And maybe on occasion, maybe early on, it in was. In certain towns or in certain yeah, yeah. So, brief eras. So a baby <clears throat> woman would come up to me as a young pastor, and I'm, this is an imaginary conversation, didn't happen, but would say, yeah, you know, the collar, Holy Communion every Sunday, all these things, this will never work. We've tried that already. And I didn't have the where for all at that, that time to say, no, we haven't. When? When yeah. did we have this? So they use this, uh, let's say bronze age kind of just, uh, you know, this is what we do. And a lot of good things, confirmation, uh, uh, parochial schools, strong parochial schools. You learned your catechism, all that kind of stuff but they're not perfect, right? And could they be, um, you know, not willing to budge? Sure. They grouped everything that, everything that was thoughtful, doctrinally sound, sacramental, all that kind of stuff into this one group and say, say it didn't work. Mm -hmm. This institution is wrong. We need to break up the institution and rebuild it, which is one of Haidt's criticism of, a lot of these rebellions are like the French Revolution. Yeah, they're really good at the revolution, but they have nothing to replace yeah. it. And then tradition becomes a byword. Innovation becomes yep. the best thing, which it flips how our confessions view things. Right. So <coughs> I, I, more and more I say, you, you are, the premise of your argument is so faulty. The assumptions that you make are so wrong that I cannot go... I, I, you're on shifting sand here, right? It assumes that this stuff was tried. So inevitably, of course, breaking down this particular institution, let's just say the church and her liturgy, 
um, as we've said before, the, the farther you get away from that, the more you become about yourself, you more become more about the individual self. And now you're really ripe for this fragmentation to take over because you're already been kind of one-on-one with Jesus. You've already been disjointed from the community. You've already moved from community, community, community into your church shopping. You've already done all of this. You've already, you've already thrown away the past and tradition. And so you are ripe to be taken off by this fragmentation, either going down a very right wing, uh, conspiracy theory, let's say rabbit hole of an existence or more of a left wing, um, that, uh, the, 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 the church is nothing more than this vehicle of social change. And I find the church that fits my politics. Yeah. And so the notion of voluntary associations has always been strong in America, but I would say history came together in a unique way when the boomers were growing up and, um, technologies that made you're able to travel more, Mm -hmm. do more, connect more, see more at that time. Um, sexual revolution, uh, um, which is kind of reversing civil itself. rights movement. Yeah. <clears throat> a lot of things that, and some of these good things, I would not consider sexual revolution good, but yeah. um, the civil rights movement. Um, but the emphasis of this was within this American notion of voluntary associations. But in the past, okay, voluntary associations, but you know, it takes a really long time to walk, <clears throat> you know, to the next town. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying the church or family, et cetera, shouldn't be voluntary associations. If it's abusive, you should leave, whatever. <clears throat> but what we did see happen with the boomers, um, and keep in mind, many of the boomers went from being hippies to being Reaganites, mm-hmm. um, is voluntary associations became even more rooted in desire. And um, if voluntary associations are more and more rooted in desire, you have to woo. Well, if you have to woo, well, now you have to woo sinners. The problem is if you're going to woo sinners, sinners' problem is, as Isaiah says, they're in the darkness groping about. Sinners don't know what they should want. Um, their, their desires are ill-formed. <clears throat> um, they're turned inward. And so church becomes less of what it is meant to be to try to accommodate those who don't know what they should want. Mm. And so rather than it being... Which sounds insulting, but it's very true. Right. So rather than it being something I can grow into, that I can go and say, here's all these things, and some of them I don't understand, but you know what? They seem to really matter to these people. <clears throat> here's this hymn. That they're singing in four parts. I want to learn how to do this. Mm. Um <clears throat> It became, here it is, and you know what? We'll put you to work right away. Um, what are your thoughts on God? And um, so we get a lot of ill-formed people told that they have very important voices. And this is not to say everyone doesn't have an important voice in the church. And there's nothing to grow into. And so when you reach the point that you've, um, you've grown to whatever level your church is at, what's the next step? to find more. Um, well, if you have ill-formed desires and if church is just a voluntary association, rather than saying, let's, let's work to make our church deeper, let's work <clears throat> um, to help make our church grow, those very people who could be catalysts for important reform, Ecclesia Semper Reformanda, right? <clears throat> They're somewhere else now. And that desire... If they think what their church was lacking was ceremony, well, they're going to find a church to get that. If they think it was rational coherence, then they're going to go to the Calvinists. <clears throat> if it was emotiveness, well, then they're going to go to the Pentecostals. Or you know what? You know what can give you reason, ceremony, and emotiveness? Hollywood mm. as well. Or you pick the thing. Um, and so I think there's a need for the church to rethink what we are is community and to be rooted, which means digging deeper into the past, not to repristinate, but so that we can now be more present for each other and for the world. There's no golden age to go back to. And anyway. point to a meaningful future. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, you got two minutes, Mike, okay. and I really got to go. First of all, I'm a woo. You're talking about wooing. 
I'm not. Strengths. I'm actually not a woo. I wasn't a woo anyway. either, but. Um, no, I'm glad you brought up, <coughs> up the idea of the. Uh, you know, if you want ceremony, you can find ceremony. We we want to go to be, a football game. Yeah, we want to be very careful to say like, there is the danger of those who are going to be like, I'm attracted to this ceremony, which I think can be a beautiful thing. There's there's mystery there, there's symbolism, there's beautiful and stuff. But we do admit there are people who are attracted to that for the wrong reason, mm-hmm. right? And so they're going to go overboard on this and consider that um, their confessional credential. And we would we would be very like careful about that because we we know a lot of guys that can do a liturgy really good but uh maybe haven't thought through their pastoral care at all so there's dangers all over yeah no i thought that uh last uh few minutes was very good wade you were on fire i'm not being too hard on and we love the boomers i've got boomer friends i would not i the civil rights movement and and very some, You're a big fan of the sexual revolution. Some very, some very important tenets in feminism we would totally agree with, right? Absolutely. Brave people sometimes standing up for, uh, in general, standing up for a lot of things that that were clearly <coughs> blind spots for our society. You're just were terrible theologians, mm-hmm. and the greatest generation, they weren't really good yeah they weren't really good at theolo- theolo- theology either yeah yeah they raised you to be that way that's right yeah all right we got to wrap this up i gotta go all so right. we, hopefully we made some sense and in the meanwhile i hope all of you will uh let the bird fly even as we all get dumber Another round, another round, one more round won't get me down.